Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Let Fear Bounce. This is your host, Kim Langling, and I am so happy that you are deciding to spend another half hour of your day with myself and my guest today, Ado Von Belkum. He is a Canadian author of over 35 books and over 300 short stories in the genres of horror, science fiction, fantasy, and mystery. His stories, Rat Food with David Nickel, won the Bram Stoker Award from the Horror Writers Association. And most recently, folks, and this is pretty darned exciting, most recently, his young adult series, Wolfpack, has served as the inspiration for the new Jeff Davies supernatural television series, Wolfpack, starring Sarah Michelle Geller, which premiered in January. And if you're listening to this in uh, March of 2023, that was a couple months ago, and it is currently going to be airing uh, episode seven. So how exciting is that to have a television series uh, come out of your writings? So Ado, welcome to Let Fear Thank Bounce. You. Thank you for having me, Kim. How okay, you've got, a lot, you've got a lot of stuff that you've done. I mean, how exciting to, first off, I want to dive into this television show thing. That's pretty exciting. How did that come about? Um... Just uh, by chance, really. I mean, the books had been out of print for about 12 years. And uh, I was just sitting at the kitchen table. My wife was making dinner on a Friday and an email came in from my agent saying, oh, there's someone with interest in the Wolfpack series, television movie rights. And I'm like, these guys are crazy. It's been out of print for 14 or 12, 14 years. You know, sure, we'll take their money. And what I didn't know is they already had a plan in place for the series. Jeff Davis was already signed on board and they needed the rights. And then when we signed the rights and made the, the contract, it went like light speed to in six months, they'd had a plan and another six months was a writer's room and another four months they'd started production. And within a year and a half from that day, sitting at the kitchen table, it was premiering on Paramount Plus. So very uncommon for something to go that quickly. I've had things uh, option for film, two novels. The period of 18 months ran out and there was no more interest. So I thought that was going to happen this time. It's like, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. We'll take, you know, the option money. And uh, I didn't expect anything to come of it. And uh, boy, was I surprised. And how, yeah, how exciting. And, yeah, and that doesn't sound like the normal the normal path that something like that typically takes but you had mentioned right at the get-go that it had been out of print and yeah it you know for 12 14 years well the interesting thing was when it was first published in 2004 there were two people that were expressed interest in the television film rights one had been an associate producer with uh, the survivor tv series and another one uh said they had a development contract with Paramount Pictures or Paramount. And to this day, I've never met the person that gave Jeff Davis the book and asked him if he wanted to do something based on my novel. And I've never been able to ask if that person is the same person from, you know, um, how many years ago, 17, oh, I don't know, 17 years ago that still had that idea that this could make a good TV series but I've never been able to find that person. I was almost in touch with them at the after party when the, the premiere was. And I asked Jeff, is that person here? He said, oh, she already left. So 
Oh. So it's a very uncommon way for things like this to happen. Usually things are in development for years or it comes closer to the publication. You know, it's published and it's a hot property and something happens to it. But, you know, like the Teen Wolf's television series that Jeff Davis did, that was in 2011. And it was based on the 1985 Teen Wolf movie starring Michael J. Fox. So maybe in werewolf circles, these things take a lot longer yeah. to come to fruition than other places. I don't know. It's my first experience. So I'm just taking it all as it comes. So as the author of the books that the series is based on, did you have any input or what type of input did you have on the process? Well, from a scale of one to 10, uh, zero. None <laughs> whatsoever. Um, the entity that wanted the option rights was CBS Viacom, which is as far away as you can get from the end uh, producers, which is Capital Arts Entertainment and MTV Entertainment. So the, there were uh, people in suits and offices getting the option rights. And I did make a uh, an ask. If they went into a season two, perhaps I could write a um, an episode. That was uh, as if I never even made that request because there was no response whatsoever. And in hindsight, now watching the series, unless you're in the writer's room and working on the story arc for the season and knowing where your episode needs to begin and end and having all those other writers and, of course, Jeff Davis and all the producers at you know, a phone call away to help guide you where you need to be in the episode, I understand that I would be lost. So, so I'm not upset about that. It would have been nice to be included in it, but uh, the series, I'm going on and on about it. I'm sure you're, you're no, happy with that. No, that's no. I'm, I'm, always, I'm always worried that I go on too long about these things, but my book series was uh, written for young adults. Um, say 11 to 15 years old and it was you know the perfect thing for that it won the aurora award and the silver birch award and the silver birch award is presented by the ontario library association and is voted on by elementary school students who read uh, from a list and get to vote for their favorite and it was it won so it for that market was perfect the series is for grown-ups there's, it's sexier, it's darker, it's gorier, it's more violent, it's got foul language and all of those things. So as I tell people, the book is a starting point, an inspiration, not the, the, the guidebook. Because people call me up and my wife said, oh, Kirsten Ramey killed that security guard. Why was that? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> because I didn't even write that character. That character's not in the book. So like, I don't know. I'm finding out every week like everyone else. The core of the book made it onto the screen. The core situation with the forest ranger adopting some wolf cubs that turn into humans and now they're teenagers. That's the core. The respect for nature is at the core. The family dynamic, the individual teenagers with specific abilities that are greater than their peers and things like that. Uh, that's all there, but it's not a word for word translation, which would have been for one episode. Uh, Jeff Davis did a brilliant job of expanding the story arc, making it grittier and more complicated. And 
I assume he's got plans for multiple seasons. We haven't had season two announced yet, but there is clearly plenty of meat on the bone, so to speak, for multiple seasons. So the, the television series, I guess you could safely say loosely based on the original work that you... Well, I wouldn't even say loosely. I just, as they say um, in the opening credits, which is uh, credit to Jeff Davis for doing that in every episode, based on the novel by Adolf Van Velkman. That's, that's fine. I wouldn't say loosely based. I would say inspired by. Because okay. He read uh, the books and liked that it all started with a wildfire, which my book starts with a wildfire. The series starts with a wildfire. And I haven't seen the entire eight episodes yet, but I have a feeling that the start of my book might be the end of the first season. I don't know. I'm just oh, speculating okay. here. So somebody seeing this out of turn or six months from now said, ah, the guy was so off base. Maybe that's <laughs> the case. That's where I'm thinking and I'm hoping that it will go there. But I call it, it's inspiration for, it's not, you know, the the script isn't in there, but it's it inspired the series, and I'm proud of that. No, you should be. That's awesome. That is actually, that is, so congratulations, big congratulations on that. That's, that's awesome. But I was just thinking of, as, and the reason I said loosely based is because I had met a gentleman, Adrian Cronauer, years ago, and got to know him pretty well uh, through a veteran-related thing, and the movie um, Good Morning Vietnam was quote unquote loosely based on his life experience while serving in Vietnam and being able to hang out several days with him. And this was all for veteran related because he was a huge veteran advocate. And so he was in our small town um, for four or five days for an event that we were putting on. And he kept saying loosely based. And I kept saying, explain that. you know, loosely based. And he says, well, I actually did do this, 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 this. He goes, and one of the main things that I actually did do was the good morning Vietnam, you know? So it was very interesting to hear his take. It's very similar to how you were explaining how your book. So it's interesting how, because, you know, us as just like the general public, we don't, don't talk to folks like you that have had something that's been optioned out or don't understand the process or literally never thought about it. So they're just like, Hmm, that's interesting. Tell well, me to be fair, I never, I didn't understand the process either. <laughs> uh, we went to the uh, premiere and uh, watched it for the first time with everyone else in the theater. And I was hoping for something that I could recognize from the book, you know, that they say, Oh yeah, there it is. There it is. And it wasn't. And I was a little disappointed at first, but my son, who works in television, when I got uh, back, we we were in Los Angeles. He was in uh, his home in Brantford, and it was two o'clock in the morning for him, but he was on the phone with us explaining to me how brilliant the opening uh, episode was, and I got to see it, and then I watched it a few more times, and I agreed with them, because it's an establishing episode. All the heavy lifting and all the characters and the storylines are sort of... and there'll be, you know, time for comparison, but just to go back to the loosely based, I'm fine with that. You can tell people it's loosely based. I like to say inspiration for, cause then I use the guidebook thing, but loosely based is fine. too. No, I like, ins- I like how you word it. I mean, and that's literally just how I heard it years ago from Mr. Cronauer. Cause he's, he has since passed on. Um, but that he's the only other person that I've, you know, met 
and was able to actually chat with. So I just find it fascinating. So um, kudos to you for that journey that you, that you've got yourself on with the book that, you know, you hadn't really thought about in 12 years. And then all of a sudden it peeks its little head up again and says, Hey, I'm still here. (laughs) Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. So explain to folks, the listeners, because I know I, I personally don't read a lot of horror books um, and I'm an author myself, but I'm more on nonfiction. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of my listeners, uh, I, it's all varied and the ages are varied as well. But explain what the Bram Stoker Award is. The Bram Stoker Award is a horror genre award voted on by the Horror Writers Association. Um, each year, there's a finalist. People put in their nomination, nominations and based on that, there's a uh, list of finalists and that year our uh, story Dave Nickel and I story rat food was on the final ballot and because it had an obscure publication in Canada on, in on spec magazine they gave us a really good excuse to mail a copy to every member so absolutely every member had a chance to read the story which helps considerably but the only reason we did that because we felt very strongly about the quality of the story and it should have that kind of attention and it did and um, I'm grateful for that still waiting for some reprint or some adaptation it would make a great uh, episode of uh, an anthology movie or television show and uh, I won't go into what it's about but so it was voted on by the membership the Horror Writers Association and we won. There was a pre- presentation made in a banquet in New York City. And, um, and that was it. We got on with our lives. But it's a great feather in the cap and something that it's it's a, a peer voted voted on by your peers. So I mean, it's uh, a, it's a big deal. It's 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 actually it a big deal it's to win. It's sort that. of like in science fiction terms, the Nebula Award. And uh, so it's, it is considerable and I'm, I'm very proud of that. And it's a, cra- a great trophy too. It's a haunted house sculpture and the front door opens and the little plaque there saying the winner is right behind the front door. And it's really cool. So that's, it does sound cool. How neat. Yes. Well, congratulations on that too. Thank you. Look at you with all your books and your awards and television shows. <laughs> Look at you. <laughs> well, it was when I when the series came out, I was talking about it like being like I had been struck by lightning and won the lottery all in the same day. But family and friends had convinced me that not to talk like that because when I say that, it sounds like Jeff Davis just picked the book out of a hat and said, "Okay, I'll do that." So I've come to terms with it, and it's been earned. You know, I wrote a good book that appealed on a different bunch of different levels to young readers and to someone who works in television and is looking for a a, a property or project that he can sink his teeth into. So um, I still think I'm lucky, but maybe one of those. Won the lottery, sure. But it's because, you know, I produced a good book. So I had something to do with it. Before I was thinking, oh, it was by by a miracle that happened. And it's not. It's it did the work. The work was there. It got discovered a little later than it might have, but it did. And uh, so it I got, it got discovered exactly when it was supposed to. Yeah, there's a there's a theory in, in writing that 
whatever stage you are at your in your career, you had to do everything that you did to get there. There was not going to be any shortcuts or I should have done this different or that different because whatever you would do differently would brought you to a different place. So, and that was comforting to a couple of authors I said that to. So, oh, that's great because, you know, I always regretted this decision I made or that decision I made. But whatever path you took to get where you are, that's the path you needed to take. Right. right. You know, and you're touching on a couple uh, areas there about self-worth as a writer, how, how you're looking at yourself and, well, and not how others are seeing, like others are viewing your work as, Hey, this is awesome. And we want to do this with it. And we want to like grow this and expand this. And you, you in general, not you pointing the finger, people, writers, authors, many, and I've talked to many, that they'll, they, it's almost, you kind of cringe and like, oh, well, you know, yeah, I did that. And, you know, you know, I wrote it this, you know, it's kind of like a self-worth thing. Like you get this, it's a, I don't know, self-worth is what I'm coming up with. I've talked to an awful lot of authors that struggle with that at times. Is this well, good enough? To be a writer, you've got to have a, a good, healthy ego because every time you produce something, you got to say, this is the best and you're an idiot if you don't want to publish this because you don't see my greatness. On the other hand, creative people have, uh, you know, maybe anxiety or self-doubt or things like that. And, you know, you put a, a story or a novel out there and then it gets reviewed. And oftentimes reviewers can try to be really mean just because they can't, not because they're insightful or anything, but because they can be mean at I've related this story before and I'll use it here. I did a how-to book. I've done two of them, how to write horror and how to write erotica. And the horror book was reviewed in the Globe and Mail. And I remember the reviewer's name, Robert Plowman. He uh, sort of trashed it. I totally unfairly, I believe. And he said that the only reason I'd succeeded in the horror genre is because the competition wasn't very good. And that is lazy and just mean-spirited and the thing you don't realize is someone who's making their trying to make a career as a writer and then believing in themselves and then this, this kind of thing comes out you know my marriage was kind of uh, rocky for a few days after that because I had convinced everybody around me that yeah follow me on this path I'm going to do great things and then this review comes out and says oh yeah this this is terrible it's and then people start to say, well, I thought you said you were great and it was going to be all, uh, and you're like, well, it is, and this is unfair. And um, a lot of people I know had written into the Globe Mail and complained about the review and they did another review of another book that was favorable, whatever. But you just have to remember that that's someone's life and life work. So if you're going to trash it, make sure you're constructive and make sure you're you're doing it for a reason not just because you can i'm off i'm reminded of that when the first two episodes came out if you look in the wolfpack television series reviews there are very few of the first two episodes that are positive mm -hmm. a lot of it stems from sarah michelle geller's character who only has like a two or three minute scene in the first episode and a little bit longer in the second. 
And people were all looking to see Buffy. I want more Buffy. But her character grew over those. And when you get to the end of episodes five, you're going to be like, wow. And totally, and you know, people are just, because they can trash something, they're not, they don't respect the genre or the, the build up or what it takes to do a kind of story with an arc. And the first one, yeah, you know, you're expecting fireworks right out of the gate. And uh, I just think, you know, there are a lot of reviewers I respect, but some of them just want to be mean because they can. Well, you know, I've wondered reading reviews and, you know, getting a few of my own. I've wondered, you know, I sit there and say, did they even actually read it? Or did they just pick a chapter (laughs) and read a piece, a literally like one page or two page of a whole book and decide to base their entire, because there are times you can read a review and you're like, they didn't even read the whole book. There's no way they read the whole book by what they're saying. That's quite possible. These days when I give somebody uh, some of my work, I give them a book to read and I said, if you really like it, let me know. If you don't like it, I don't care because and, and you life is too short. Right. I can't change it. The book is what it is. If you like it, let's share a feel good moment. If you don't like it, I don't have the energy to be taken down and I have to build myself back up again. And your opinion really in the end is doesn't matter because the book's there. And you can you imagine, you know, whatever, when Wolfpack came out in 2004, it had positive reviews, but if there were some bad reviews, well, look, I waited almost uh, 20 years, you know, 18 years. And well, look who's laughing now. So right. you know, don't have t- don't have time for negativity. And it's almost a shame that you have to put the things out there and have people be able to review things like this. I mean, right. the, the viewer response is great. But if you go on Rotten Tomatoes, the critical response is low. But the viewer response is, you know, off the charts. So, well, and that's who it's for is the viewers. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're not writing a book with a critic in mind. No. You know, no, I never have. I've always written right. books that uh, I wanted to read. So Ex- Exactly. Yes. You're writing the books that aren't out in the world yet. Those are the ones you want to read and you can't find them. Right. So you write them yourself. Right. <laughs> you know? And I've, I've often thought, you know, critics, yeah, sometimes it might make you go, ouch. Eh. And then you're thinking, wait a minute, I didn't write this book for that person. And that person doesn't typically read what I write. So that's not my audience anyway. Right. They're just someone who happens to be reviewing books. So it really, yeah, it doesn't. Okay. For me personally, I'm not saying for anyone else, for me personally, I take it with a grain of salt and move on because they're not in my world. They're not part of my world. And I didn't write my book for them. Right. You know, yeah, that's, it's a, that's it's just a good, my own it's a good way to go about it. It's a good way to go about it. Yeah. So what, what is next? What is next for you? Um, I don't really write as much as I did. I mean, if this happened to me uh, 18 years ago, I would still be writing and we would have all kinds of other projects to talk about. But I got to a point in uh, my writing career, I just made it into mass market, which is where I wanted to be mass market paperback, original novels. And um, for whatever reason, both of them were optioned for film, but none of them sold in the kind of numbers that the publisher would say, okay, we need more. And the publishing world, 
at that time wasn't like, okay, we'll do some more mid-list books and maybe one of them will catch. There wasn't such a mid-list. It was like the books came out and they better sell or else, you know, that's the end of it. So I had a, like a five-year setback and I'd have to build myself up again to that point. So I, there's a saying that it's all right for me to suffer for my art, but it's not all right to have the people around me suffer for my art. So decided I would take a job with a pension and a medical plan and all those things. And I still did writing, of course, but not on the same scale, like waking up and saying, what am I going to do today? What's the next novel I'm going to write? This one's going to be great. you know. Um, and I've come to terms with that. I did a lot of writing. I did a lot of books, a lot of stories, and um, I'm just enjoying it now. So what's next? I'm learning social media. That's what I'm doing because... <laughs> You know, there's so much social media revolving around the series, and I love it. I mean, I've never had my name mentioned so much ever. <laughs> like, you know, for two years now, every time I mention the Wolfpack series based on the books by Ado Gandalf, which you would think would make the book sell like hotcakes, but it's selling okay. But um, I guess TV fans are not exactly readers, and you know, but I'm having a great time figuring out ways to promote it or letting people know like about this, this talk we're having <clears throat> that'll come up in my feeds. Mm -hmm. I just posted the first episode of Wolf Pack Facts, which I did on TikTok. It's a minute and a half. So go check it out. Just type my name as for the mat for that matter, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you can't find me, you're not looking hard enough. <laughs> there's all kinds of, there's all kinds of stuff about the series and, my journey and how it went from print to screen and uh, talks about writing and things like that on YouTube. I have a YouTube channel too. So I'm just having fun with that and I'm enjoying this as much as I can. Uh, last November, my wife and I went to Atlanta and we were on the set and it was fun. You know, you get treated like a big shot, even though you're not. And then you come home and then you have to take out the garbage, wash the dishes. And it's like, Oh my God back to this again and then in january we went to los angeles for the uh, red carpet i mean and i say this many times i mean how many people have been able to go to their wife and say how would you like to come with me to los angeles and walk on the red carpet N nobody i know right? right so that was a terrific experience just to, to be there with all those cameras and the actors and it was just Phenomenal. You get treated like a really big deal. So it was a lot of fun. So I'm just trying to hang on to that and enjoy it as much as I can. We're waiting for the announcement of season two. I'm very confident there will be. And I hope to go back on the set uh, when they're filming that again. This time taking uh, my son and daughter-in-law because it's the kind of thing you want to share with the people right. around you, right? Let's go have some fun together and we can enjoy this, uh, you know, every time we get together, we can have, talk about it. So that's what I'm doing, social media, trying to figure it out. 60-year-old man, it's not, you know, social media. I don't know. I don't understand how people doing reaction videos to the series can be watching and go, oh, oh my God, and they have like 3,000 views, and I'm doing a constructed inform informative piece about how the thing came to be and I can't get 400 views. I, I don't understand. So I've got to figure that out. I'm 
it, it, it is a journey. I, I'm in the same boat. I'm in the, there's a lot of, I mean, there's so many different social media platforms. I'm very good at a couple, but all of the ones where I have found surprisingly where my audience is, is all on, you know, TikTok, Instagram. And I'm not, I'm not interested in those, <laughs> but I have yeah. found I have to learn a little bit and I have to get my stuff out there somehow. But when it's just a one person show, like me, here I am raising my hand. I'm, I'm a one person show here. It's very, very time consuming. So I, I was getting myself stressed out trying to figure it out. And I realized, you know what, Kim, stick with what you're good at and with what you know. Well, and I'm very fortunate. My son uh, works in television as a producer and I did give him the raw materials and he edits and makes it pretty and puts it on there. And it looks like a million bucks. So Awesome. Check out TikTok, type in my name. The most recent one is there. I'm really proud of it. I'm proud of the job he did too. But um, yeah, I'm just enjoying it, having fun. Who knows when it's going to be over. So let's just. That's right. You got to enjoy the journey while you can. That yes. is for sure. Well, hey, we're going to get ready to wrap this up. This has been fascinating. I, I, I so enjoyed talking to you and learning about your journey and the wolf pack and all of that and what might be coming down the road. But before we wrap up, I always ask my guest to toss out a nugget of hope because the name of my show is Let Fear Bounce, Tossing Out Nuggets of Hope. So if you've got a little nugget of hope that you would like to toss out there for the listeners, it could be about anything. Okay, so I give lots of talks on writing and this is the one I give about um, finding success. There are three ingredients to eventual success, but in reality, you only need two of them to actually find success. The elements are number one, talent. You must have a little bit of talent, not necessarily a lot, some. You must persevere. You have to keep going and you know always continue on the journey. But the third one, and people don't understand that, is luck. Okay? You have to have a bit of luck. Now, here's the good news. You only need two of the three to eventually succeed. You can have talent and persevere and you will succeed. You will persevere, perhaps even without talent, and get lucky and have some eventual success. So that's the thing to keep in mind. Talent is important, but is not the key ingredients. There are a lot of things that contribute to eventual success. And I think the most important one is perseverance because you got to stick with it. And when you get a setback, you have to actually work through it and continue on. So talent, luck, and perseverance. Three things that are necessary for eventual success, but only two are actually key. Awesome. I like that. And I agree with the perseverance. Yes. Just, you just got to keep, you got to be consistent and persistent and just keep on going. And you are going to fall in potholes or trip over a curb or whatever. You know what? Stand up, pull up your big girl or big boy panties and keep on going. Because if this is what you're meant to do, you're going to keep on doing it. All of my advice has come from firsthand experience. I would not hear anybody wrong. It's because I've discovered it to be true myself. And you've been doing this a while. So I yes. thank you for sharing that nugget with the listeners. And I thank you once again, Ado, for being my guest. This has been truly a pleasure. And I'm so glad to have had you on and to hear about all of your successes. So again, congratulations on all of them. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Everybody out there listening, thanks once again for tuning in to Let Fear Bounce, where we're tossing out little nuggets of hope for you. 
hopefully you can tuck those in your pocket and carry them away with you for the rest of the day. Everybody out there, thank you so much again. This is Kim Langling, your host of Let Fear Bounce. Everybody be well, stay well, and be blessed. If you want to find out more about your host, that would be me, Kim Langling, feel free to go on over to my website at kimlanglingauthor.com. See what's going on, see what books I've got coming out, and what else is happening. You can also check out all of the other podcast episodes there, folks. We are on season three, so there's quite a quite a library of them. But thanks again for tuning in to Let Fear Bounce. Kim Langling, your host, wishing you all a beautiful day. Now go out there and rock your awesome self.